Jeremy, there's some news. Uh, one of the companies I used to work for a long time ago, um, actually, you and I both did some work with them, uh, Core Matrix. They recently sold out to a company called Proficient. I actually don't know too much about Proficient, just that they're a pretty big consulting company. I guess they've been trying to ramp up on Salesforce. And so I guess uh, Core Ma- acquiring Core Matrix was part of that strategy. I had not, I've never heard of them. They're Microsoft's most active cloud integration partner. So I guess they're trying to get into the Salesforce business, dip into that bucket a little bit. Right. So yeah, they bought Core Matrix, which is uh, like an East Coast-based Salesforce partner. Yeah, and it's interesting, they're really focused on that East Coast kind of regional thing. I'm not, I'm not exactly sure why. Who is Core Matrix? And the actual release notes, I mean, they, they kind of really kind of put attention on the fact that they were an East Coast company servicing that region and that that, that would kind of help them expand into that coast. Um, I assume they're probably... West Coast? I'm not sure if you have a, a beat on their direction. Well, so I think they had, earlier they had bought a West Coast-based Salesforce partner. Ah, that explains it. Clear task? Well, they, they, uh, they acquired Core Matrix for quite a bit of change. Uh, they did, uh, I think the number was something around $18 million in cash, about I think a total of $21 million, I'm assuming the others in stock options. Yeah, so that's, that's awesome for Core Matrix. Congratulations to to uh, Frank and Paul, some some old pals of ours. Yeah, absolutely. I know they've been doing this for a long time. They they've kind of built this business organically, and um, it's kind of great to see them kind of move forward and move into that other level. Yep. It's nice to get a payday. Where's our payday, John? <laughs> We're working on it. <laughs> uh, One of these days. Right. So yeah, that's pretty awesome. You know, the uh, I think the I think we're gonna they're gonna see more. Um, Salesforce partner acquisitions as the, you know, the ecosystem still growing Salesforce's revenue growth and just they keep signing more customers and more partners. So that's growing. And, you know, I think you're going to see more consolidation. I think it's just pretty natural um, as big companies that aren't in the Salesforce business decide they want to get in um, that, you know, they can either try to get in organically or buy a partner like proficient did with the core matrix. Or you might see just more of these, you know, we've seen all these little partners merging and trying to turn into bigger partners. You know, we've seen a lot of that. So that just continues. I think it'll continue. Um, and then you've also got, you know, Salesforce randomly buying partners here and there. Who was, uh, who was that partner they bought? Was it last year? Uh, was it Autometrics? Is that who you're thinking? I think so. I think so. And that was a little controversial because it's like, you know, Salesforce buying channel partners. I don't know. Kind of interesting. Yeah, but they bought them primarily for their mobile expertise. Um, obviously, Salesforce that year also announced their mobile um, app technology. So I think that was just a way for them to acquire some some resources that they really needed in that space. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I don't think Salesforce is trying to necessarily compete with you know their partner ecosystem or anything like that. I right. mean, they they're pretty. I wouldn't say generous, but they because they they absolutely rely on that partner ecosystem there's no way salesforce could come even close to servicing all its customers needs directly so and until until the you know my the the revenue and the market starts to plateau i think i think you'll continue to see healthy ecosystem but you know as we've seen with these other industries or markets whatever whether it's you know it was uh what was the big crm company in fact it was one that paul and frank were in what was that uh Gosh, so was this, were they Siebel? I can't remember. But anyway, you know, you see when you see these revenue curves starting to flatten off, that's when the that's when the vendor starts taking, like holding back all the all the professional services business for themselves and everything, mm-hmm. and, and kind of they start starving the, the partner ecosystem. Yeah, 
but I, I think it's a long time. I was I've got a conversation today with uh, with our friend Shell Shell Black, and uh, he was he was uh, we both agreed that that does not seem to be anywhere in sight. Right. I think, I think Salesforce has got a lot of growth ahead of them. Yeah, and I think I think interestingly enough, and you brought up Shell, is that <clears throat> he had mentioned how Salesforce had actually changed how they're how they're measuring who can be a platinum partner, who can be a gold partner, um, all those different levels. And they actually increase the requirements. So you have to have so many certified developers, so many admin developers. And then to get into some of the other levels, you have to have at least, you know, one technical architect. So I think Salesforce themselves is, ha- ha- is kind of driving some of this consolidation as well. Um, I think they, they can see how fragmented it gets with all these small, small shops and the value of having some of these bigger players out there. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm not sure what what that's all about. I th- I think it's I think it's just Salesforce responding to the fact that their partner ecosystem is getting bigger, and so you need to readjust your your categories every now and then. You know, what does it mean to be a silver partner? Well, you know, seven years ago it meant that you had two employees. Nowadays it means that you have twenty. So yeah, um, anything else about uh, Core Matrix? Good for them. Um, let's see. Yeah, so this company Proficient, they yeah they've got. So I guess they're just a big consulting type company. They do some ERP and just, you know, enterprise application consulting. Apparently they've also got a fairly legit like design studio. Yeah. And other than that, it sounds, I mean, you know, they work closely with partners like Informatica, Oracle, IBM, EMC, Tibco, all the typical boring enterprise stuff. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting. I think it'll be interesting to see kind of what they do and how they get more into the Salesforce platform. I mean, obviously you have bigger players out there that are more well-known. I, I actually hadn't heard of Proficient until till this merger or this acquisition. Um, but of course we've all heard of Blue Wolf or Model Metrics or Stadia and all those guys who are, you know, always at every Dreamforce event, always have a big presence from a partner perspective, not necessarily a product perspective. Speaking of acquisitions, do you remember, I guess this was, was this a couple of months ago when Salesforce uh, and Workday announced this partnership? Um, I thought that was almost last year at the last Dreamforce, wasn't it? I thought it was, I thought it was September, like this September. Was it last year? I think it was last year. I, I could be wrong, but I could remember. I think I remembered seeing a lot about Workday and some kind of partnership they had. I could be wrong though. Yeah. So there was a, a Benioff quote. He says, "Anil." He's talking about Anil. What's his name? Anil Buzery. Buzery. Um, the work, Workday CEO says, "Anil and I both agree that Salesforce.com and Workday need to unite our clouds." That sounds a little bit creepy. Get a room, guys. Um. <laughs> well, we we heard something similar with with them and um, uh, VMware, and that kind of didn't go anywhere. Yeah, that didn't go anywhere. But that was, I think, that was because of subsequent acquisitions. I think they just kind of changed directions. I think it was a, a direction they planned on going to kind of open up things and and use some of the tooling that was there. But I, I think it was when Salesforce bought Heroku it kind of froze the VM force deal because now they're kind of directly competing with VMware. I think VMware was kind of the foot in the door, meaning this is kind of the direction we want to go, but they somehow were not able to make it work. And so they transitioned and found Heroku. But yeah, I think, I think the Salesforce and Workday thing could be interesting. It, the thing that's interesting to me is I think it's a sign that Salesforce is um, saying, Hey, we don't plan to go into the whole uh, yeah, human capital management. Is that what they call that? business human capital management sounds so creepy well i don't know i i think we could have a similar situation with vmware here i mean 
Workday, Workday obviously is much bigger than than Work.com, which was kind of their. It's not really HR management, but it's kind of getting into the space of reward systems and trying to manage your people and all those kind of things. So it, maybe it's not directly, but I wouldn't discount it that they would never get into that space. I think I think Salesforce is always looking for partnerships where so that they don't have to rebuild the wheel. But I I think if Salesforce is able to come up with something that's embedded into their platform and much more native, that they'll definitely go that direction. I saw that uh, supposedly Salesforce was going to let Workday somehow embed Chatter into Workday. And for that, I, I apologize to all people who, who use Workday. Um. <laughs> or Chatter. I, I think Chatter is a great concept, and I, I don't fault Salesforce for kind of going at it and really making it a big show about Chatter and putting it center stage of the platform. But honestly, it's, it's a small part of the day for me. It's a small part of the day for most people, I think. Or I, I, Actually, I shouldn't say most people. I, I could be wrong on that, but... I think a lot of companies have built a pretty strong workflow around Chatter. I'm not a daily Salesforce user, really, so I, I can't really comment. I did uh, reinstall the Chatter desktop application. It's been a couple of years since I tried it. It looks identical, but it it doesn't work for me. It's it's an Adobe Air application. I don't refuse to have any Air application on my computer. Mm-hmm. It looks like an Air application. It looks terrible on a MacBook Retina because there's no you know high DPI support. Um, it only supports a single Salesforce account. And if I was to make any use of it, of it at all, I would have to support multiple accounts. Yeah, and I, I, I think it, it comes back to the, the tools that are available. I mean, I, I don't really log into Salesforce all that much. I spend most of my time in an IDE. But I do get things posted on Chatter, and I've got an email, email notification. But a lot of times I kind of don't really participate in that, that thread. I kind of just send an email or I respond in some other, some other way. And it could just be my personal preference and how I'm working, but you know, I have Twitter up all the day, all day. I have, you know, Facebook, even though I don't really participate in Facebook. But I mean, I have those tools and I check them periodically, but it's just not something that I'm keen on participating in. It's just more of a a background thing, you know, potential I'll get some notifications for some things that I want to check. But mostly I'm just trying to get my job done. Yeah, I mean my my use of chatter is limited too. I'll get an email because someone mentioned me in chatter or wants me to do something. And so the email will have like the first sentence and a half followed by dot, dot, dot. And so I have to log into Salesforce <laughs> to look at the rest of this chatter post. Yeah. And I think that's part of it is the, the whole workflow of having to log in and all those kind of things. And, and maybe it just comes down to there being some better tools out there for chatter. And I, I know earlier on there were a few tools, but that's kind of, that, that's kind of slowed down. I don't think I've seen anything new in a while. There's a lot less friction if you are if you're always logged into Salesforce, and if you have a single org that you that you log into and use. Um, I just that doesn't fit my model though, so because yeah. I have lots of orgs that I have to get into all the time. Yeah, that'll be interesting to see if anything comes out of the Salesforce Workday. I mean, I I've been doing some some work in the Workday space for a year or two now, so I'm certainly not a Workday expert, but um, it's you know I, I kind of watch the space a little bit and. It'll be interesting. It, it could have been just one of the uh, marketing thing, but yeah, there might be some substance behind it. I don't think they've shipped anything yet. I did see, uh, interestingly, that <laughs> Workday's got a some kind of new big data initiative. They they call it big data. Of course, everyone calls everything big data nowadays. Um, in fact, one thing I've learned about big data is that people that the people that really uh, are good at it and know what they're doing don't call it big data. So that it's a tell <laughs> if they call it big data. <laughs> but anyway, it, it was, so this it was talking about how it's going to allow companies to do like analyses of, of high performing employees, characteristics and work history. 
and like it's going to give them ways of measuring their company's health against like other companies and benchmarks and metrics and tools for raising worker productivity. I'm just like, man, this is like total Taylorism management all over again, like from almost a hundred years ago. Yeah. I, I think my problem is, is every time we try to solve some kind of HR issue with software, it just further removes, you know, higher ups. And obviously this is geared towards enterprise. I mean, obviously a small business is not going to use it. And if they are, they're probably going to spend a more money than it's worth. It's just further removing, you know, people from people. And I, I, I know from working in, in enterprise environments that really all I really wanted was some, somebody to work with me, someone to understand what my concerns were or, or help me communicate to someone else to help me get my job done. What I didn't need was filling out annual or quarterly, you know, reports on how I think I'm doing or what my goals and tasks should be. And it just got to a point where everyone was just doing it because they had to, but no one was really getting any kind of real value out of it. And the only reason anyone really even did it was because their bonus was, or their their bonus and, and their annual raise was associated to it. Yep. Yeah. Don't even get me started on the charade that is uh, performance reviews. <laughs> right. Now, that, that's not to say that this tool won't, won't, won't be able to help and, and analyze and maybe pull out some patterns that can help you kind of go out there and 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 make some some things happen or at least find some places that need some attention but i think when you're talking hr i mean really it's it's human resources it's it's people talking to people it's people getting out there and knowing your name and it's got the word human in it i know <laughs> talk to someone people get off of your spreadsheets spreadsheets and emails and chatter and twitter and everything else and just talk to someone i think uh, data is great and, and analytics and everything and you know i did the six sigma thing and you know, before that I was, you know, done a lot with statistical analyses of things. And so that's all great. But this is just going to be another reason that managers have to not manage well, to not really have a good idea of what their reports are doing, what they're working on, how they're doing, what they're struggling with, what they're excelling at. Um, you got to talk to people. And there's, I'm, I just don't think there's any, you know, big data analysis that's going to tell you how to how to, you know, replicate your, your high performance workers. <laughs> you know. Well, Johnny well, <clears throat> gets, gets three cups of coffee every morning and that tends to result in better performance than those who only get one cup of coffee. And I just, come on. Yeah. And I'm not sure that that's the goal of the analysis, but it's Tool, fairly evident. Tools that for anyone... raising worker productivity <laughs> <laughs> metrics. <laughs> I, I guess that means stick putting your thumb on them and making them, making them do extra. I mean, I, any, anyone who's good at their job is good at their job for, for one reason. They either they excel at it and they love it and they live and breathe it. I, I picture like uh, sensors and like the butt cushions of chairs and like cameras and heat sensors and all kinds of things to get, just, you know, wow. collect all this data. About you're, like you're, you're going all big brother, big brother on it. I think oh, I know <laughs> that's, you know, that's just that's where this stuff always goes. Anyway. So is this one 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 level removed from from NSA tracking? They're just going to have cameras and everything on you. They'll, they'll be hacking into your cell phone just to see what you're doing. I don't know that it is removed from NSA. I mean, <laughs> I don't know that there's anything that the NSA is not involved with. I mean, we just don't know. Who knows? Yeah, yeah, we we do have a, a data issue in a data security issue in this country. I'm not sure exactly what the right. solution is. Okay, so I got a quiz for you. Quiz. Guess how much in Q2. Uh, Salesforce spent on R&D expenses. So I'm assuming that means engineering or just building, building the platform. I'm going to say a percentage of 15%. Oh, 50, so let me, I have to do some math here. So, oh, that's actually 
dude, you're like right on. <laughs> okay, so it's 160 million, 161 million, and their revenue was, I think, almost a billion. So yeah. that's you were wow. Okay, guess how much they spent on selling expenses? Oh man, does that include marketing or? I believe so, sales and marketing. I, I guess if you include all the different events and everything they put in there, I'd say it's probably. 40, 40%. Man, you're good. 400, 480 million. <laughs> uh, I should be running this, right? <laughs> but so are these, are these, are these healthy ratios? So they, they spent 160 million to build something and it costs them 480 million to sell it like three times more to sell it. Yeah. I, th- I think, I think the best way to probably look at that or the right, right perspective to have on that is that a, a good portion of that isn't really selling it, but just maintaining the brand, maintaining um, their place, their market share, really, you know, obviously Dreamforce is a big event and they spend a lot of money on that. And so that's probably where a good chunk of it comes on. They have all these different events, not only here in the States, so, but they go overseas. So, so this was Q2, which would not have included Dreamforce unless they amortize Dreamforce across all four quarters. Yeah, that's true. It's probably not included in that, but they do hold other events um, in other areas where they do these kind of announcements. Um, they're probably not as big as Dreamforce, but they're probably, you know, maybe half the size of it. Um, so I wouldn't put it past that that they're spending that much in, in Q2. So one thing that was interesting about this is that the expenses for R&D are growing faster than selling expenses are. So to me, that's a good, that's a good indicator. And one reason for that is because uh, one of the main uh, criticisms that Wall Street has had with Salesforce, and I think in general, the software as a service model is that it requires such intensive ongoing selling costs. You know, and one of the questions has been, you know, when is Salesforce going to make money? Uh, you know, are they, is it a bad idea or is it being poorly run? You know, what, what market share do they have to have? How big do they have to get? You know, they're at a, bil- they're at a billion dollars a quarter. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of that could just be the, the model, the subscription model it's, itself. I mean, every, every time, you know, every year there's renewals, you know, every, every year they have to resell the application to, to some business owner that says, I'm up for renewal. I got to spend this much money again for the next year. Am I really getting the value that I've been getting out of this? So, you know, a lot of times they have to go through that whole cycle again. But I still maintain that these proprietary platform as a service vendors, I mean, they're they're a roach, they're a roach motel. You know, you go in and you can't get out, you can't get out. It's proprietary. You're, you're locked in. So that's got to help. Yeah. I think that does help to a certain degree. It's not, but even, even with on-premise, it's, it's not that easy to, to move off of. A particular solution. It takes, you know, if you're enterprise, it takes a good year to kind of plan out how you're going to transition then make the transition and then do all the training and all that kind of stuff. So whether it's a proprietary SaaS web-based Salesforce system, or even some on-premise Oracle solution, there's still a considerable amount of work that has to be done to transition off a system. So in other news, uh, so Media Temple and GoDaddy, uh, Media Temple bought GoDaddy. I thought it was the other way around. GoDaddy bought Media Temple. Yeah. Okay. So I actually, my, my blog is actually hosted on Media Temple and I, um, oh, and what's the URL of the blog? John, how would people find your blog? <laughs> I get to do a plug, huh? <laughs> I guess, uh, hey, we have a podcast now, so I guess you get to plug whatever you want. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. The, the blog is iterativelogic.com. Iterative Logic. I-T-E-R-A-T-I-V-E logic.com. Yeah. And, and so... I actually originally bought my domains on GoDaddy, and that's really all I did. I didn't really do the hosting. I didn't really like their UI, 
really the only reason I picked GoDaddy is because I needed a domain at the time, and this was you know quite a few years ago, and I just wanted to pick someone that I knew. And GoDaddy, of course, was everywhere. They were cheap, and so I bought the domains. But I really hated their UI, hated going into that site, and ultimately when I decided to pick some place to host it. Um, I wanted to go with virtual service. So I went with Media Temple. Um, at the time, they had some pretty good reviews, good service. And I decided I didn't want to manage my domains in two different places. So I went ahead and just let Media Temple handle all of that, and I just had one bill. So I probably don't have as much grievance with GoDaddy as, as a lot of people do. I don't really have any grievance with the advertising, although that Super Bowl ad was pretty gross. It was the the really nerdy guy and then the really hot supermodel i forgot who it was oh yeah and they mugged out and it was that was gross yeah it was just it's gross yeah <laughs> it wasn't sexy in any way it was just shock value gross i didn't really care for it um and so that's probably where a lot of the, the kind of quote-unquote moral outrage is is at when it comes to go daddy but i don't know i i guess i see them they're they're living in that world of volume they're they're constantly trying to spam you and get you to, to do more with with what you have and i guess i can't fault them for that but at the same time i'm just you know just leave me alone yeah uh, you know the thing about godaddy that that i've uh, found amusing over the past couple of years is the extent to which um a lot of the people who are out who just like seem to be outraged at godaddy over the past couple of years prior to this they were just fine with GoDaddy, and they've always had they've always had women in their ad campaigns. They've always had, you know, a very sales oriented website with upsells everywhere, and everyone was fine with them. I mean, they were the for so many people, and even nerds, right? Even the nerds and tech people, you know, it was the default domain registrar. Uh, it's cheap. It seems to work well. You know, there are really not any major complaints about their service, but. You know, is when they initially supported SOPA, or was it CISPA or SOPA? I don't remember. SOPA, yeah. I guess. Yeah, it's SOPA. <clears throat> that they triggered all this nerd outrage, and then all of a sudden, everyone's like, oh, and and their ads objectify. All of a sudden, just this piling on, and, and uh, you know, it's like, okay, well, you were fine with that for the five previous years, and how are you, you know, suddenly... Because, you know, in, in fact, they temporarily supported SOPA, but then backed off of it really quickly. So, uh, I thought that was strange, but... I want to point everyone to uh, all three of our listeners to um, a, a post that Chris Coyer wrote about this. Cause I thought it was funny. I'll just, I'll read a couple of things here. Like he just makes some points. Like he's talking about people generally hate GoDaddy, And for the following reasons, number one, their ex CEO killed an elephant. Uh, two previous ad campaigns, objectified women, three, their UI is kind of crappy Four, they try and upsell you so much. It's ridiculous. Uh, five, their hosting kind of sucks. Six, they yeah, they initially supported SOPA. Um, but then he goes through and kind of debunks how <clears throat> there's a couple of legitimate things in there. They they you know, they do have some ads that objectify women if if that kind of thing bothers you. I won't get into that. Um but you know, like he says, the the upselling may seem ridiculous, but they don't they obviously they're not making any money on the domain they're they're selling it because they sell it so cheap. So they've got to make money somehow. You know, if their hosting is any, not any good, don't use it. Other than that, I mean, again, big deal. It's, it's pretty much the same service it always was. So I, I I don't really have any sympathy for the people who who have all this uh, Johnny-come-lately, GoDaddy outrage. I find it hypocritical. I think to some extent it just kind of satisfies our, our need to be nerds and outraged over things. I mean, Nerd rage. Nerd rage, exactly. I mean, in most things, anytime some kind of merger, some kind of change happens in general in the tech industry, 
you know, it, it none of us kind of go to the, the pros of it. We all kind of go to, well, crap, this is going to change. This is probably going to happen. Um, anytime Google buys somebody, it's, it's crap. They're about, they're going to kill it in a year. Um, unfortunately they have a track record for doing that, but you know, we always go to that negative. We always kind of go to the worst case scenario. Um, and, and I will admit that I did too. I mean, with media temple, I'm considering moving off of them, but I was kind of considering moving off of them before only because I wasn't seeing the performance I needed. And when I asked them for some support on, on performance of my site in terms of being able to load quicker, they would kind of give me the response like, well, it's loading fine. It seems to be okay. But really, I've seen other services that are hosting a site similar to mine with a template that's similar to mine in terms of graphics and all that kind of stuff, which there really isn't any. It's mostly text. And it took mine a good second to load where others were, were much quicker. And that just could be because of the, the virtual service that or virtual server that I'm on. Maybe it has too many people on it. Maybe I need to upgrade to a higher cost model. But I expected them to come back and at least help me with that. But their, their answers weren't, weren't as helpful as I expected. In other regards, when I've had issues with the site being down, They've responded really well. I was able to troubleshoot the issue and get it back up and running really quickly. On some of these, you know, I don't know what kind of hosting service you have, but I mean, uh, you know, for people who have these basically pretty low cost entry level um, hosting services, I mean, they probably, uh, you know, they probably get a lot of complaints or, or just support requests for things that really aren't legitimate. And I'm not saying yours wasn't, but imagine all the people out there who aren't really technical, technically really savvy. They just have some blog for their painting business or something. Um, they probably get all kinds of requests and, and having to field all those for these really, really competitive, low margin services, that's got to be hard. So, you know, and I'm not trying to give them a pass, but I'm not sure what you'd expect. Well, they, they've actually, I think they've seen a need for that and they've recently tried to service those kind of people. So they have their new kind of support offerings that, that basically will take your site and configure it for you and do all the troubleshooting and all that kind of stuff. And I think that's kind of what put them in a position where, where they wanted to either be acquired or, or wanted to sell to someone. I think, I think they got to a point where they knew they needed to grow <clears throat> and they were doing all these things to try and get there. And I think they needed that infuse of money to be able to keep going. And GoDaddy came along and said, hey, we'll, we'll just buy you and we'll help you grow. That's kind of what I think happened in that scenario. Hmm. Because they were, they were, they had just released some new services. They were advertising them. Um, they looked really attractive. I was looking into probably getting them because I had, I had tried some things and kind of screwed some things up. And I thought, you know what? Yes, I'm technical, and yes, I can kind of probably fumble, fumble my way through most of this. But I'd rather spend my time writing, you know, doing, you know, my work, my day job. And I really just want to write for my blog, so I didn't really want to mess with that stuff. So it was really attractive when they started coming out with these services. So why don't you just use a blog? service instead of like running your own server if, if you just want to write because i do want to have some control over the templates and things like that so if i went and went full hosting on wordpress um i'd have to pick from their templates there were just certain things that i did kind of want to have some control over that you kind of lose with some other hosting i tried squarespace um, but their templates are really limited and since i blog mostly about writing code and do a lot of tutorials they didn't have the right kind of plugins you know for syntax highlighting and those kind of things that that i really needed so Squarespace yeah, was out. Well, I don't want to dog on Squarespace too much because I'm pretty sure when they find out that we have three listeners, they're going to want to sponsor our podcast. <laughs> no, I like Squarespace. If I had just a regular blog that didn't have too much to do with right, coding. That, that's what you meant to say. We love Squarespace. <laughs> they're awesome. I, I actually really do. I tried them out before I got my WordPress blog. 
And I really liked it. But again, I couldn't do the type of things I wanted to do temp, um, template wise for the, the coding. And so I went with WordPress and, and I had the whole WordPress domain and I decided, no, I'm going to host it myself because I want to be able to use my own templates or at least go out to, and buy some template from somebody and be able to load it myself. And then there's always the, the attraction of, you know, just having your own server and being able to do whatever you want with it. But of course, I don't really have my own server. I have a, a virtual spot on a server with a hundred other people. Um, so the other big Salesforce news this week was that they released, uh, was it this week? They released their, this identity product. I guess they're calling it Salesforce identity. Did you see that? Uh, I heard about identity when they were piloting it. Um, I didn't know that it was coming out with this release. Yeah. I don't know if it's GA. It's, I mean, I thought I read that, uh, yeah, Salesforce and releases identity service in the cloud. So it's, it's like a ping or, uh, one login or whatever. Apparently, uh, I guess Microsoft Azure has, you know, they're planning a similar thing. So I, I don't know. I guess everyone, now everyone has to have their own identity service. <laughs> yeah. I, I guess it's good for them to have that service especially with, with more and more things trying to integrate, but, um, does Mark ever say no to anything? I mean, between their acquisitions and some of which you see, see the day a lot, and some of which you seem to get shut down and not go anywhere. I mean, I, I don't know. Shouldn't Salesforce, don't they have problems to fix already and things to solve? I mean, if they don't, if they, or if they don't know what they are, Hey guys, call me. I've got, I've got some ideas for you. <laughs> well, so so let's talk about what Salesforce is. They're a public company. And we talked about Wall Street and we talked about how finicky they are. And we've talked about yeah, but Wall, how Street how sales, Wall Street wants Salesforce to make money right they, now. No, they want them to innovate. They want, they want to see that stock price jump because they come out with some new feature that's going to change the way everyone does business. They don't care that they've done a they, ton of work to stabilize their system. They already did that. They did that 10 years ago. It they changed, they it changed the way. It doesn't matter. Apple changes it every couple of years and they're still... John, you know, do you know how much money Apple makes? <laughs> like more than God. Yeah, but and and every time, every time they do an event, there there's some analysts out there saying, "Oh, a Apple's doomed. They're done. Steve Jobs is gone, and they're 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 gonna they're gonna die now because they're not innovating enough anymore." But they're, that's because Apple's already made like eighty trillion dollars for their investors. Salesforce has not done that yet. That much is true, but what the point I'm trying to make is is around. The innovation of the platform, those kind of things. Wall Street loves to see new shiny gadgets. They don't. They don't care that you stabilized your platform and now you can run ten thousand more transactions. They want to hear that you have this new feature that tons of customers are going to want to buy, and thus your stock price is going to go up. Well, if 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 the end result is making cash instead of burning it, I think yes, Wall Street does want that. But they, I mean, Salesforce has been, you know, they were until recently like one of the most most shorted stocks on the S P five hundred. There's a lot of upset. I, th I think some of this is just, you know, the, the obligation to, to make a headline. Obviously we get three releases a year and there's, there's usually something in there that, that kind of helps to, to alleviate some of our pain. Actually, it's a good segue to something else we want to talk about, which is the CPU limit. So they, they recently changed the, the limit on statements. So previously you could only run so many statements of code before it would uh, basically hit the limit and your, all execution would stop. And so what they've done recently is change it to this kind of CPU-based time limit. So you can basically run code for a max of 10, 10 seconds CPU cycles. And then after that, it'll actually stop. Which means if, if you're able to run 
500 lines of code within within that time frame, you're good. You can run 100,000 lines within that time frame, you're good. I think, well, I think the net effect of, of switching from, you know, number of statements executed and some of these other limits to a, to a, and I assume it's clock time, I guess, 10 second limit. I actually think that raises the ceiling quite, gives you quite a bit more headroom. But I wonder if it's harder to measure and predict though. You know, I know I can de- deterministically know how many lines of code I'm going to execute usually, particularly if I know how many records or what my input is. But I don't always know how many seconds of a CPU time something's going to take. So that seems non-deterministic to me. Yeah, and the, the clarification is that it's supposed to exclude query time. I, I, I want to say it excludes DML time as well, but I'm not positive on that. Um, but it does exclude query time. So any query you take, even if that query takes 10 seconds, you still have your 10 seconds to run, to run your code. And I think you do have a point. I mean, technically, you probably could calculate how many times your code's going to run or or even just test it and make sure that it doesn't run that many times. When it comes to seconds, you're kind of at the mercy of, you know, server load and all that kind of stuff. It may take a little more, especially if you're on that edge when you're processing a lot of records. Um, I've actually hit the limit a couple of times when I was doing some test data loads. So I was basically trying to set up an environment with a bunch of test data, um, a lot of test data. And I had to kind of break it up because I was hitting that limit. Yeah, so I guess you weren't very excited about the uh, identity service. <laughs> I know nothing about it. I think it'll be big for a lot of customers. I mean, I, I know a lot of Salesforce uh, users that do use things like ping and one login and Okta. I think there's a few others, but um, I think I think I'll, I think Salesforce will get a lot of identity business um, just as add-on, like you know, customers that come to them for CRM and then. You know, one day realize, you know, we really should, uh, you know, unify our identity strategy. Yeah, I had to learn more a little bit about it before I could speak intelligently on it. I know there's an issue out there with with trying to implement some kind of single sign-on solution, especially when you're talking integration with all these different systems. SAP being one of them that I that I had a lot of headache with in terms of trying to get that to work. So well, I, I guess if it's yeah. if it's servicing that particular need, then then yeah, it's it's going to be pretty great. It, it probably won't be. Yeah, I find it interesting though that right out of the right out of the gate, one of the there are a couple of the services they support are Sugar CRM, uh, Zendesk, like basically direct competitors, but yeah, good for them. One of my big clients is a Salesforce customer who also uses Zendesk for support, even though it's a you know Salesforce has a support offering, but for whatever reason they you know they're on Zendesk. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they, so they I mean I think they've got to have that. You can't uh, you can't have a an identity service that excludes certain uh, certain endpoints just because they happen to be competitive in some way or another. So I mean, I'm sure it'll be fine. I think, I mean, to me, identity was kind of a solved problem with all these other providers. And, you know, it's, it's all, there's a lot of customizing that has to be done from what I've seen. Um, but then there's also, you know, it's SAML, you know, or open ID, if that even is still a thing anymore, OAuth. Mm-hmm. Well, I think they're taking advantage of, of them being a trusted platform for most enterprises. The enterprise has already signed off on them and, and trust them in terms of managing their data. It's not that big of a leap to get to have them trusted with their identities. Yeah, totally. I mean, people, Salesforce is very trusted. I mean, that's one thing I, I've i noticed from all the Salesforce customers I've dealt with is people really trust Salesforce. Yeah. Um, so I have a question for you. This is something I wanted to mention before, but one thing I'm wondering, uh, so Salesforce has just in their web, uh, in the web interface, um, when you're you know, doing customizations or building on, on Salesforce, 
there's a handful of like unsupported like uh, URL parameters that right. you can use, right? Yep. So there's like, you know, save URL and next URL and no override. And um, you could populate field values through URL parameters. And it's just, this is just something that you basically have to do. I mean, if you're building applications or doing heavy customizations on Salesforce, you have to use these. Um, but they're not supported. They're undocumented and not supported. Um, but even, you know, even Salesforce's own PS group, I mean, they do this every day and they have since the beginning. Well, it's why not just, doesn't, why it's doesn't not, Salesforce document and, and support these? That's a really good question. I'm not sure why they don't. It, it, it seems like something that they should. I, I don't see why it would be that big of a leap for them to support that. I mean, because then, then they would have to commit to not changing them. So it's, it does hamstring them a little bit. But I mean, these are just so critical. And like I said, everyone's using them. And people, ISVs use them big time. I think partially it, it could be that because basically to use them, you have to inspect the HTML that was generated, grab the ID for that field, uh, or however it's, especially when in the case of lookups, you have to use that special underscore LKID syntax and then populate the names. So you actually have to put both things on there. I'm wondering if they just don't want to have the support and, and in the event that changes, have to tell everyone to go back in and change all their code. Yeah. Because they decided to change their HTML structure. I think what it is, it just, you know, it limits Salesforce's ability to change things in the future, which I, which I get. But I mean, gosh, this has got, this really needs to be supported. The other wrinkle is if you're an ISV or if you're, for whatever reason, doing, uh, making managed apps and, ins- or even I think unmanaged packages and installing them into orgs, the, the field IDs, which is, which become the URL parameters you have to use mm-hmm. um, are different. Every time you install it into a different org, the field, the custom field IDs are different. Right. So if you're having to write code, now you've got to have basically a configuration setting that once you install the app, you go figure out what all the, what all the IDs for the custom fields are. And you go out somehow put them in as settings or something so that the application can read that at runtime. Right. I think the reason it works is just, just a bonus of the way postbacks and all that kind of stuff works. I don't think it was an intended behavior. It was just something that just kind of came with the way they implemented it. I think for them to actually officially support it, they would have to support something like actually using the field name in the URL versus the ID um, or something along those lines um, and allow you to pass that value in, which would probably a really be a core fundamental change for, for the way that those pages are working. Mm. So I saw that Apple's... Uh Got a, is it a meeting next week or is it the week after? Uh, Soon, right? Yeah, next week on the 22nd. So it should be Tuesday. So what's that all about? Well, the rumor is that it's it's definitely going to talk about iPads. We should get some new thinner iPads. Um, we should are you, see. Are you due for a new iPad? No, but I want one. It's <laughs> <laughs> not what I asked. No, I'm I'm technically not due for a new one. Actually, if anyone's due, it's 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 my wife who's on an iPad two. I'm on an iPad three. So, however, you know, I do like to do a lot of reading on my iPad. And one thing, one complaint I do have is that it gets kind of heavy after a while. And I've even considered getting you know like a Kindle reader, just the the e ink or whatever their their new white paper or whatever their technology is called, just just to be able to have something that I can hold in my hand and read that's light enough. But the, the rumor mill for the iPad is that they're going to get thinner and lighter and much easier to hold. So that might solve that problem. And see, I'm, I'm skeptical of that. I don't know if they can get thinner and lighter. It's a, it's a battery problem. I think Apple is more concerned about battery life than they are thinner. 
True, but that's not to say that Apple hasn't found a way to shrink the battery a little bit and keep somewhat of the same time, if not do better. Well, that would be great. I'm, I'm just I'm skeptical of that too because battery technology hasn't improved in like the last thirty years. I mean, we're still using the, the pretty much the exact same lithium ion technology that's been around forever, and it just doesn't seem to get more efficient. But yeah, but they've, be, I mean, they've I'd, gotten pretty pretty creative with the way they arrange the, the battery and flatten them out and and all those kind of things. So I wouldn't put it past them that they've gotten creative again. Yeah. And in fact, I, there, there's another rumor that, that, the, that they're going to announce new MacBook Pros. Of course, they'll have a spec bump, but there, there's also a, a rumor out there that they might get, even get thinner, which I don't really see. I mean, I, I have one myself, the MacBook Pro Retina. It's pretty thin already. And given that 90% of it is battery, I'm not, I'm not sure it could get any thinner. Yeah. Well, that's, that's kind of the way I feel. I'm, I'm ready for a, a new Thunderbolt display. Oh, I am too. That's one of those things where, where I'm just like begging Apple to take my money. Just come out with something so I can spend my money. Yeah. I mean, I've been saving for like two years for that. I mean, I've been waiting. Yeah. I think if they do, it'll definitely have the Thunderbolt 2 technology. My speculation is they might even include some kind of video processing within it. Because um, obviously there's, there's an issue with being able to push that much data in terms of retina display or at least even high DPI display from your computer to the monitor. My speculation is that because they've done so much work on OS Mavericks, that's kind of hard to say. <laughs> I'm not used to saying Mavericks, but the, the work they've done on Mavericks in terms of the multi-display, so you know your, your toolbars and your menu bars, they're, they're kind of handled independently between the two different monitors. So it's, it's a very productive environment um, versus you know having to switch back to your main screen to actually do your toolbars and all those kind of things. That to me says to me that they've maybe found a way to incorporate two Thunderbolt monitors at high resolution, especially with the MacBook Pro line, or the, yeah, the Mac Pro line. Yeah, because I know in my MacBook Retina, the video card can just, it can't push enough pixels fast enough. Yeah. And there's also a technology limitation with the way they implemented Thunderbolt. It actually has these dual pairs of communication lines, I want to say. I'm not all that technical on it. I think Thunderbolt 2 is actually merging that into two. So you get more throughput in parallel. <laughs> oh, hey, what happened to Salesforce Chatterbox? Have you used this Salesforce files? Are those the same thing? I don't know. Um, I know. So last year they announced some kind of new file system, cloud file system technology that's basically competes with things like Dropbox and Box and all those kind of things. But I haven't seen it yet, so I'm not sure if it's meant to enhance or replace their current content technology with all the versioning and all those kind of things. But I think it's meant to, once again, take advantage of the trust they have with the enterprise, and rather than having their users use Dropbox or anything else, is to use the Salesforce platform to just kind of do that file sharing. But I don't, I don't think it's anything to do with Chatterbox. I could be wrong. Yeah, I, for some reason I thought Chatterbox got renamed to... Uh to Salesforce files. But in any case, I thought I'd read the Salesforce files would support like basically integrating with Google Drive and Dropbox and some of these other existing uh, file syncing services. Mm -hmm. And Salesforce could just plug right into those. So you can, you know, you could link some file that's on your Dropbox to an account in Salesforce. Yeah. And I imagine, I imagine in November at Dreamforce, we'll, we'll hear some more about that. I, you yeah. know, again, they, they, they made a big announcement on it last year. Um, a lot of people were excited about it, except for the the people that were there hosting booths like Dropbox and all those people. <laughs> but it does fit; it does solve a need, you know. Obviously, 
when I was working at, at an enterprise company, they actually didn't want us using Dropbox. It, it's a risk. It's a liability for them. And so having an official sanctioned Dropbox-like solution is pretty attractive and, and Salesforce is positioned to fit that need. Yeah. So, okay. I'm just reading a uh, Salesforce blog. They did rename Chatterbox to Salesforce Files or Salesforce Files Sync. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, uh, I guess it integrates into the feeds, like I guess the chatter feeds connected to sales, service, marketing, and business process and synced across all your devices. So yeah, interesting. I, I think that could be useful. And again, I, I like, it sounds like they are, you know, they're, again, they're, they're trying to integrate with the existing sync services that people are already using, mm-hmm. which is great because I get a little bit worried sometimes with Salesforce that they have the, you know, a non-invented here, the, the kind of like Microsoft has always been plagued with. Right. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think it's, especially for field sales, it's going to be a big bonus because, you know, they'll finally have a place to be able to put all their attachments and share them um, in a way that makes sense. In fact, I, I've, I've had a lot of customers, even in the last year where I've kind of said, you know, I know you usually put all these files on this server, you usually have a directory, you usually have a link to them from, from your site. Yeah, that server's going away because you have Salesforce now, you don't have an on-premise solution. What are we going to do about these files and attachments? And the big problem with Salesforce and attachments is the the data storage and the limits that are on that and the cost to to increase that. Um, for some companies, it's a no-brainer. They'll, they'll increase the limit. Um, for others, they would just prefer to have some directory somewhere they can put those files on. Files. It's exciting. <laughs> well, that's all I got. So what'd you bring to drink? Um, I'm drinking the TX whiskey that you uh, referred me to. Oh yeah. How do you like that? It's good, man. It's, um, it's so smooth. I almost feel like it's not whiskey. It It's, I feel like it's some kind of vanilla caramel liquid. <laughs> no, I really enjoy it. It, it. It's a blend. So it's, it's not a, it's not anything they, they've actually kind of brew, um, oh, D- distilled. Yeah. So, so it's a blend and, um, it's not something they actually distill. They actually collect, you know, whiskey from different, um, distilleries and they blend it and they create their own blend. So they, I think that, I think they also filter it and also juice it up with extra caramel flavor. <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me. It's actually really good. I really enjoy it. Um, it, it's one of the few that, that I enjoy on the rocks and could drink it all day. Um, some of the other ones, especially since I buy a lot of, um, single barrel, whiskeys that are kind of have a higher alcohol content it's kind of hard to to sip that um this one's just a lot smoother to drink and it's really enjoyable well i've I've tried this one a few different ways and i can tell you that neat and maybe with a splash of water is by far the best way i'm drinking right now i put up a couple of ice cubes in and it's i can tell you it's much better just room temperature yeah yeah i really enjoy it what about you so so what i'm drinking tonight is is called whitmeyer's texas single barrel cast strength, I guess. Um, it was one that was recommended to me. I actually know nothing about the distiller other than it was supposedly a really good Texas brand. And I, I tend to try, like to try all the Texas brands as much as possible just cause I'm from Texas and I, I feel like being that way. <laughs> uh, it's pretty good. Um, it's one of those that I don't mix, but I'll put in with some, some water and some ice just to kind of dilute it a bit so I can actually uh, taste it. I'm not to the point where I can just drink it straight. So um, you said it's cask strength. Yeah, that that's what's on the bottle. I actually have no idea what that means. Um, well, what's the what's the alcohol percentage of the proof? It's fifty six, or it's one hundred twelve proof. That's pretty high. Yeah, so it, it's one I do have to dilute a bit, otherwise I can't taste it because I'm dealing with the burn. 
So, but when, when I do do that, I do get a bit of a caramel. I do kind of get, you know, some flavor out of it. It's, it's really good. Not one of my favorites. Maybe if I drink a few bit, I mean, more of it, but you know, it's nothing like, you know, the way I feel about the Texas brand or the TX mm. brand. Yeah. But I think, you know, these last two ones we've done whiskey. I think the next one I might actually bring some wine. Yeah. I'm, I haven't been in a strong wine mood and I don't have a wine drinking partner right now either. So I tend to not open a bottle as often. Wow. That, that was an insult at the same time. Was it? Don't have a wine drinking partner. I don't. <laughs> you mean as, as partner as in, in your home? Yes. Okay. I don't either. My wife and I don't like the same things. We don't like the same beer. We don't like the same wine. She doesn't do whiskey. So I'm pretty much on my own when it comes to this stuff. Mm. Yeah. So I, I, you know, I, if I'm going to open a bottle of wine for, I mean, for me, wine is about two things. One is food. So it's almost always it's evolve around some meal, but also sharing and being social. And if I don't have either of those, um, if I can't talk about the wine with someone and if I'm, if it's not going to be for a meal, I'd probably not going to open it um, because I don't know, just not worth it. I'd rather, you know, have a beer or water or something. I don't know. So, so is your, is your mantra that once you pop that cork, you need to finish it? No, I, I think, you know, most wines, um, as long as you actually put them in the fridge, they will store pretty well, at least for at least a day. Um, the, the fridge dramatically slows the oxidation uh, much more than even all these, like the vacuvine and these other pump things. Just just cooling it down quite a bit slows the oxidation uh, a lot. So, so I, you know, that gets you a day easily for most wines. And some wines are even better after that day. Some aren't. But no, I just, I don't know. I Sometimes I don't want to even drink the same wine two days in a row, though. So You're a bit of a snob. I just, you know, I need variety. <laughs> I'll open a bottle. I, I won't, I'll drink maybe a quarter of it. And over the next couple of days, I'll finish it off. You'll drink a quarter? That's like a glass. Oh, okay. Yeah, sometimes it is just a glass. See, you're in denial, John. <laughs> uh, Promise, Ossifer, I just had a glass. <laughs> no, we don't joke about DUIs. Oh, that's right. <clears throat> I didn't say anything about driving. You said officer. When, when would I meet an officer? Would he just come on my door and check to see if I've been drinking? Possibly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you've been in much more trouble than I have then. I have. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. Yeah. All right. Well, on that note, are we done? We are. Well, thanks both of you for listening, and uh, we will talk to you on the next podcast. All right. Good day, sir. Good day, sir.